Hey everybody, the Con Artist here. We're here to talk about our rolling review show for spring of 2023, which was Hell's Paradise. So, uh, Dan, can you tell us what the show was about? Sure. Uh, this is a very popular, well, it's an adaptation of a very, very popular manga, uh, one of the like hotly anticipated shows of the year. Um, and it focuses on this group of convicted criminals, murderers, thieves, uh, and ninjas in the, uh, I think it's at the end of the Shogunate or the beginning of the, um, uh, the beginning of, of the, uh, Imperial Japanese era. Uh, I just called it the age of the sword, the age of the sword, we shall say. Yeah. Basically, um, uh, the country's just been unified and like the government's cracking down on all of these criminals and, it's decided to make use of the most dangerous of them by sending them to this isolated island in search of the elixir of life, which would basically grant whoever drinks it immortality, or at least that's the gist. Um, however, like every expedition they've sent to this place has come back as either disappeared completely or come back like messed up, covered in like flowers and like their the their explorers all these like undead gibbering masses it's not great so they decide to send a bunch of very expendable but very dangerous people there with the temptation of a pardon if they're able to actually retrieve it and bring it back for the uh for the shogun um it is pointed out by the like subordinates that this is a terrible idea so like it's already starting from a place of place where this is you know the the whims of a, you know, this is the whims of a tyrant. And uh, so no, there's no, there's no good reason behind this. It's really just, this is a good excuse to have a bunch of people with weird abilities and crazy dark backstories all on a deserted island fighting horrible, horrible monsters. Um, the main focus of which is uh, Gabi Maru, who is a ninja who's basically like suppressed all of his, uh, feelings and emotions for most of his life to become a perfect uh, assassin, but uh, tried to leave the ninja life behind for the sake of his wife, who is sort of his driving motivation. Uh, he wants to get back to her and make sure that they can have a life together away from all of the like death and violence of his past. Um, but Dan, mm? uh, if they send all the criminals to the island how are they going to be sure that they actually come back with the elixir of immortality and not just like screw off somewhere? That is an excellent question. Uh, along with these criminals, each one is sent with a uh, member of uh, the Asaimon, which are basically this extended clan of masters, swordsmen, and executioners. Uh, they all have their own particular like quirks and proficiencies, but at the end of the day, they're here to mind these criminals, and if they get out of hand, they have orders to execute them immediately. Um, the one attached to Gabi Maru is one of the few women among the group, and I think she is the daughter of the head of the clan, or at least one of their most prestigious members, uh, but she is also uh, known by the others for being... They consider her very soft. She is, like, she demonstrates very early on she's an extremely skilled swordswoman, but as an executioner, her heart just really isn't in it. She wants to cause as little pain and suffering as possible. She understands the necessity of her position, but isn't really, uh, isn't really keen on having to do it. So her character development focuses a lot around that. Gabimaro's is sort of a, you know, laser focused on doing this job, getting done, and getting back to his wife. And you, we also meet various other criminals and Asaimon as we 
uh, explore this terrible island, which is filled with uh, just regular creepy monsters, some kind of weird beasts and insects and other stuff, and more humanoid beings who are far, far more dangerous than any of those. And sort of unraveling the mystery of the island, figuring out what these things are, what the elixir of life is, and if it can do what has been advertised, is sort of the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is sort of the driving uh, plot behind all of this. So that's really where we start out. You know, a bunch of criminals and their uh, potential executioners trapped on a deserted island, fighting a whole bunch of evil monsters while trying to solve the mystery of this place and get out alive. And that goes very badly for a lot of them from the very beginning, from like episode two or three onward. Like, folks are dropping pretty quickly. There's a big culling at the beginning. And a lot of characters you think are going to have longer arcs than they do don't end up making it as far as one might hope. So it's a very deadly show for all involved, and it feels like the axe could drop on people pretty frequently. All right, so what did you like about it, Dan? As for me, I really uh, find that I enjoyed some of the character dynamics. I liked how um, different characters' philosophies sort of interacted throughout all of this, and I'd say the biggest thing I enjoyed is the tension of the show. Um, especially in the early stages when you're sort of figuring out what the, how the island works, what the, um, what these monsters are all about, what is and isn't deadly, um, while there's still that early, uh, kind of air of menace and mystery, there's a lot of tension because it becomes pretty clear that there are some characters who, you know, between their character design and out of screen time they've got, you figure, oh, this guy's obviously a badass or at least like, you know, interesting enough that they're going to get some, they're going to get some stuff to do for a while. And they are wiped out like almost instantly. It's like, oh crap. Well, all right. Now it makes it clear that, you know, kind of no one is safe. Um, and so there's always that tension of whether or not, you know, our, while we have a pretty good confidence that our main pair are going to survive for a while, like whether other characters, other supporting characters are going to make it becomes a, you know, a real sticking point and uh, really enjoyed seeing how the dynamics between the executioners and the uh, criminals sort of evolve as they all get whittled down and they have to decide, you know, if they're willing to work together. Um, and, uh, at the end, there's like some information revealed that I don't we'll, we'll see how it plays into the next season, because this is very much the introduction to a longer story arc. But uh, based on how that plays out, it could really impact the whole story, kind of echoing backwards and forwards throughout the uh, throughout the story that I thought was if even if it's only a theory at this point could really change the dynamic of how our characters are approaching this whole situation. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I, you know, I don't normally go in for like the big gory ultraviolet uh, shows. This one, I found myself enjoying it. You know, there's some clever use of uh, people's various abilities. All the abilities are, you know, they're over the top, but they're not, you know, we're not talking uh, full on shonen superpowers for the most part. Uh, our main character is essentially immortal. He can go through almost anything and survive. Like there's a long montage in the first episode of them trying to execute him in all these different ways and it's just not taking. So he's kind of bored with life and anything outside of the idea of getting back with his family is kind of like 
eh, whatever, don't care. Um, so I sort of enjoyed how he uh, how he navigates his problems as someone who can't really die, but suddenly has a reason to live. Um, whereas the other characters are much more aware of their own mortality for the most part, and so are desperately trying to figure out more about this uh, place so that they can figure out what is or isn't going to kill them and how to you know stave off the worst effects of being on this island. So, uh, like I said, it's a good. I feel like it's a good thriller. There's a lot of good tension, and I like how the different characters sort of approach this very very deadly situation and sort of how their personalities come out in the approach. I liked the mm. opening theme song oh, yeah. a lot. It's a total earwig, and I listened to it on loop a ton. And I liked that Gabimaru could not solve all of the problems with Shinobi, Shonen protagonist. It's time to light kicking. myself on fire. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> he kind of realizes after a point, like, oh, crap, like, that's that's sort of the only string to my bow right now. Uh, mm, what am I going to do now? Yeah, like, there is there is a point where he comes up against, you know, our core villain group right now and does rapidly realize he needs to ask other people for help. Mm -hmm. After going off on his own, so, like, it was one of those things where, oh, man, that seems like a really boneheaded decision, and then the story immediately says, yeah, yeah, it was. Look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I also like Yuzuriha. She's my reason for sticking like through this this show. In addition to us choosing it as the rolling review, mm -hmm. but you know, if I had to pick a reason, it's her. I thought she was a ton of fun. Uh, I said it in my review. Like this lady just gives no f's that she's in this show. Yeah. <laughs> she wants a a bath. She wants to eat good food. She you know never worries. I think the way a lot of our rest of our protagonists have. Obviously, you're stuck on an island full of deadly things, concerns. I mean, she's just living her best life, yeah. no matter what she's doing. <laughs> for a little, and, for uh, just a little bit of clarification, Yuzuriha is another uh, shinobi. She's also a ninja, like Gabimaru, but from a different group. Uh, and yeah, her whole philosophy is basically, is like, I'm just here to try not to get killed and score a pardon if I can. If y'all, you know, I like y'all, but uh, I'm not going to die for anybody. So, uh, peace. Yeah, yeah, very she's much great. her philosophy. She's great, so. That's about all I got. Yeah, I would say that uh, in terms of praise for the show, some of the parts, it is occasionally nice to look at uh, when they're really showing off the island's diverse plants and stuff like that. It does look really pretty in the backgrounds, even though, as we'll get to later, many other aspects of the show suffer from uh, lack of budget or animation quality. Yeah, I'll agree. It definitely it's it's nice to be in a place that is so dangerous without it being like a desolate wasteland or like obviously evil. It's you know, this place is verdant. It's blooming like flowers are a major motif and they come they come around constantly. Uh, most of the island is extremely lush and even the places where it's been like rendered barren are still kind of, you know, there, it doesn't take long to get into some like really weird and fascinating architecture as we move deeper into the island. So it has the, the background has a personality all its own and it makes the island sort of a character in its own right, which I think is one of the best things you can do in sort of a quasi horror setting. Um, kind of like the abyss. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which, you know, not as, you know, varied or, 
vast, like lovely rendered as, or vast as uh, as the abyss. But uh, it's still like it, it's in that vein. Agreed. Yeah, it definitely has a definitely has a similar vibe of everything in this place hates you and wants you to die in like new and excruciating ways that you know you can't even imagine when you start out. So, I I really appreciate how much effort is spent making it clear how deadly the island is. Um, and it's not just people talking about it. Like we see all of the effects before anyone starts to go on about it. Like you, all, you know, so far is that nobody's made it back alive so far. So you can, you can implicitly be aware that it's uh, dangerous, but once everyone actually gets there, it's very much show before tell when it comes to just how much, you know, how much horrible stuff is on here in the varied ways that it's going to try and get rid of our characters. Cool. Does that conclude our good stuff? Yeah, I feel like I had a pretty positive spin on all of this. And I uh, agree with Dan with for most of it. Yeah. But I'm also yeah, impressive. If I turn into a like a like a two on two here. <laughs> yeah. It's time to get into what we didn't like, at least a little yeah, bit. Yeah, from what I was you, reading. You had something first, Dan? From what I was reading, it definitely seems like uh you guys had some very divergent opinions towards my own. So uh I'm thrilled to hear what you know, what exactly about this may not have worked for you or where you thought the show fell down. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, as I, I mean, because I already mentioned it, the, I guess the quality of the animation, I would say varies widely. Like sometimes, you know, they'll put their budget into a cool move or a nice background, but other times, I don't know, characters are going off model things. Just like, you can sort of tell it's suddenly a lot more cheaply made. Uh, I don't know. It's, it, was, it was all over the place, I guess. And it was no, it was pretty noticeable at times. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. There are definitely some rough patches of the animation, and I really do feel like it let the show down because you know the the peaks the peaks are pretty high, but the valleys are equally deep. Yeah, like the episode I had were like big dude. They were fighting a big dude. That was the worst one. And oh yeah, like he has this weird paper mask over his face, but he also cries a lot. And whenever he cried, just like the entire mask would just sort of move around with water droplets behind it but it was like two frames of animation that they would just repeat and you're like what are you serious with this calling on that hikaru no o <laughs> animation <laughs> budget <laughs> yeah i'll just i'll steal scott's spotlight just really quick the fight sequences i thought really suffered a lot oh, yeah. too um i'm just gonna steal everything i think brendan you had mentioned it and, and put it very succinctly it its fight sequences at times functioned a lot like you would stage a fight sequence for manga. So it was like cuts, a lot of cuts in order to get the sequence across, which when we're working in live animation just looks lazy and or poor. So I think that suffered quite a bit. At times it was to the show's benefit because you were cutting in someone speaking, like there was exposition. Mm. But many times it was just like character swings, cut to enemy, like dodge character, you know, go back to main character and like he's flat on his face. I'm thinking of the brothers sequence from that one episode I watched mm. where it was just a, a really lame fight scene. You know, like, what did we actually get to see the action here? Um, so I think for a show that was heavily reliant upon these these interactions, it it was pretty lame. That's true. Like, even even earlier on, there's a fight with, like, I don't know, dude who has a lot of swords. And 
they don't actually just don't show most of the fight. They're just like, eh, Gabimaro won. Like, you kind of know he's going to, but they're just like, we're not going to bother showing it. He just he just succeeded. Yeah. And you're like, all right. I mean, it seems there's a couple cool moves in there that maybe you want to see how he's actually going to do it. But oftentimes it seems like they cut away, probably to save budget. Uh, you mentioned talking during fight sequences. And, and while the exposition can occasionally be useful, like particularly if there's some weird thing they got to do, with the enemy it gets really weird when they're like standing perfectly still and talking in the middle of what is supposedly an intense battle uh like you know it's it's big guy again and they're like oh my god he's so fast i can't get a hidden edgewise what are we gonna do and then they just like stand there talking on either sides of the big guy for like a while about how they're gonna take him down but like you can see his arm in like the background, like between the two of them, and he's just standing there while they talk. And you're like, could we have maybe done this, I don't know, while they were jumping with some action lines to make it look like they were talking during the fight? Like it really does just look like everyone's taking a nice pause for a bit, and it's it just is very weird. Not not good. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like there definitely was times where I feel like this uh, this entire fight scene could have been like five minutes shorter and it would have only improved it because they do rely a lot on the talking to fill in the gaps. Definitely a a weakness in the adaptation. I think their 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 grasp uh, or their reach exceeded their grasp when it came to the kind of fights they wanted to do, especially in the middle section of the uh, of the show. Mm, yeah right uh yeah, I'll actually ju- speaking oh, go, go ahead go ahead uh i'll just jump in really quick can i can i switch gears yeah yeah go for it okay uh i i just wanted to switch over to i i understand why this show is classified as a thriller but i didn't like the way the show chose to enact that genre i guess i'll go with it like it front loads a lot of violence and a lot of death but none of it has any real meaning so at one point they bring in like the the giant group of criminals oh yeah here we go and they bring them to a tent and they're just like all right well we're going to uh we're gonna pick ten let you guys go on the island psych only some of you get to go you all have to murder each other until there's like eight of you. Because we only have so many Asaimon to be your care, you know, not caretaker, like to, to Minders, watch over you. whatever. Yeah. 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 And make sure that you guys are, are in lockdown. So they all start murdering each other. And I just kind of watched this sequence with like super passive. I was like, all right. And they even take the time to like... As they scroll through people, they get a little scroll that pops up, you know, as a fourth fourth wall like us the viewer gets to see it with their names and they go over some of the crimes these people did and they're like they're just gone instantaneously the same thing you know there's another layer of cutting when we actually get to the island of the whatever eight or ten that make it several of them are dead like day one eight o'clock and i think the show was sort of i won't call it edgelord but it was almost like hey did you know that the island is dangerous? Did you know that these people are criminals? Did you know that like we can put violence in our show? And I was like, yeah, I was aware, but none of this has any meaning. None of this has any background. None of this makes me concerned. Like, I guess we could kill off like 
more people, but then your show wouldn't exist. So this is not really a game of chicken you're playing with me. I'm scared to a, a limit, but it, they rapidly cut us into their core group. And then it took much, much later for me to be like, oh, okay, I like these people enough that now I'd show some concern if one of them died on me. But it was a lot of front-loaded violence for, like, no apparent reason other than to, to kind of be edgy and dark. Yeah, I, just, I totally agree with that. Like, I I felt like in episode one, we learned who Gabamari was fine. Episode two is pretty much this big convict fight. And it's, like, just a waste of time. You know, like you said, we don't know any of these people. Half of the guys are like, I'm going to try to hit you with a stick. And then the half the other guys are like, I'm a ninja who can light myself on fire and kick through people's chests. And you're like, yeah, okay, I guess we know how that's going to go. <laughs> but like, you know, why, like it's literally a full episode. And like you said, they, they name all these people or whatever. And then we kill off a whole bunch more on the island. I'm like, well, you just wasted my time. Like I already knew Gabi Maru was in Immortal. You didn't need to prove it a second or third time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, okay, maybe he fights giant sword guy and we see a little bit more, but... I felt like that whole episode was a waste. And also a couple of times when they're like, like a guy takes an obviously mortal wound. And then the show is like, now we just introduced him, but here's his backstory. And you're like, he's dead. Yep. Like he, he's not going to have a further impact on the plot. Why would you tell me his backstory now? Like blonde haired guy, yeah, like Tenzo. samurai guy. You see, like was like the, the worst, you know, example of this. And I get that we're supposed to get, the, the kid he was protecting or whatever and like goes on to become a character but like i don't know i felt like it was they, they really banged on a long time about his backstory for a guy that's already dead and who they introduced this episode i that was the pre- uh, there was one episode he was in before that because they did the boat yeah hopping. but like like briefly yeah you're right they did the boat hopping that's i am gonna have to disagree very strongly on that one is that i i get i understand exactly where you're coming from and i've definitely run into uh, other shows where they will spend all of this time like cramming a character's back uh, backstory and like personality all into one episode before they die like halfway through or right at the end and yes it can be very frustrating if it didn't play for you that way then you know I totally get it it's uh it's not an easy thing to do but I really like I I was lucky enough to uh, be reviewing one of those episodes and I thought that it was really well handled because you know we show that he is among the Asaimon, he's one of the few who you'd qualify as like a objectively decent person. And he's, you know, he he knows he knows his own limitations and he is able to sort of pivot when they realize that like their original plan to escape the island isn't going to work. Um, you know, he's also one of the few people like he came here with the intention of trying to help the person that he was assigned to, you know, execute if need be. So it it sets up a really interesting dynamic, and I was honestly hoping that we would get more time with him, but then for him to die so quickly, and yet in a way that felt like it did have an impact on the story, you know, particularly the two other characters that are uh, with him at that time, for me, that worked for me. It was, you know, it, I felt like it made... It made sense. It was, you know, again, demonstrating that, you know, we we are aware that this island is deadly, but we also make it clear that good intentions are not going to get you very far. That, you know, regardless of how nice or 
good-natured a person might be, you know, qualities that would make you think this person will probably make it at least a significant way into the show, uh, those are not going to save you here. Um, and I and felt like the true. Way, and I felt like the way he went out was satisfying, even if it was still tragic. And I don't know if Scott and I would really dispute that, but like I think the issue that we have is that they go the back half of that episode is his backstory with Shion, mm. which felt weird to put in that position. Yeah, I I agree. It's a it's a choice, not one that I I don't personally have a problem with it, but it is one that I can see having sort of the opposite effect. Like you said, you know, why are you telling me this now when you've effectively removed this person from the board? Right. Yeah, it did kind of feel like res- a response rather than, again, giving this to us ahead of time so that we care when the action happened. It's almost like a fear response, like, oh, we're going to kill this guy. Quick, we want you to care. Like, yeah. Insert, you know, insert backstory here. Yeah, I'm just, I think I'm just in disagreement because Tenza has no depth to him whatsoever i think if he was a character that had a more nuanced personality and i'm not even talking very very deep because we were going to you know kill him mm-hmm. but his his personality amounts to like i'm dumb and uh-huh. i'll jump <laughs> in front of the way of anything insert naivete here yeah like i'm naive dumb guy i want to do the right thing and it it almost felt a little like sad puppy in the rain. Like, <laughs> oh, of course we'd kill off the optimistic kind one. Because that's just the kind of, you know, dark show that we are. So mm. he was never going to make it with, given the cast of characters that we have, who, you know, I'll actually give a little bit of credit, have some degree of nuance to them, right? Like Abby Mara was a killer, but not by choice. Right, that's sort of explored a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like Sagiri is uh, the swordswoman Dan mentioned in the beginning. We were talking about the show is you know conflicted about her role as an executioner, but she also like understands the duty she has and you know feels the sword is her calling type of thing. So like you have these characters who have other elements to their personality. Like he had so little to work with that. And even his backstory didn't give us more to work with. It's not like he started off as kind of jaded and suddenly became optimistic. And then it's tragic that his optimism can't get him through this difficult time. It's just, he's a dumbass. He is still a dumbass in an assignment outfit now. And now he's dead. Yeah. Like that's it. And like Shion was already traumatized to give some background, like Shion, his mentor, who does survive, he's, he's the blind guy with white hair. He's a really neat character, but he was already traumatized by losing one apprentice. So it's not even like that was another checkpoint in the story, right? Like losing Tenza would have been his, you know, tragic moment to be like, all right, that's it. Like no more apprentices, which is what he's like. But he was already kind of in that boat. It took some convincing to get him, right, to, for, for Tenza, to take on Tenza, and then he's suddenly like, oh, now I'm just super no, no apprentices, which he then rapidly sort of breaks anyway off screen. 
Oh, yeah, to help out, to help out the other character. Nuragaya yeah. or whatever yeah, the Nuragaya. name is. Yeah, uh, I, I agree that like, the way that was handled, you know, I had to, in, you know, you have to infer a lot of how their relationship has sort of evolved off screen in the time. I like it, but it's like, I feel like personally, a lot of these issues may be just due to a just due to adaptation. I'm, I know I'm being a, a bit of an apologist here, but I feel like a lot of these, you know, a lot of these challenges that the show ran into and the ways in which it chose to order these things, I wonder how many of them are basically following too close to the manga and not taking advantage of the nature of the medium. Was his, you know, was this guy's background really revealed like in the moment that you knew he was dead or was it revealed before then? How, what point in the story did that flashback take place, if it took place at all in that context? Uh, or is this something like, you know, later on it's Shion telling other characters about it, which then adds more emotional weight to him after the fact. I wonder if that might have been just a, a poor decision in how they did that, or to, you know, to go more nuts and bolts, how they adapt the fights in a very, you know, panel by panel kind of way with talking, filling in the gaps is very much a, you know, a, a symptom of adapting a still medium to one in motion. And I wonder how much of this is just a result of them not necessarily having, whether it's the, the budget, the resources, the time, whatever limitations they had that didn't make that things didn't make that jump as smoothly as they have in other an, uh, animated adaptations. I, I would be curious to read the manga now and compare and contrast these two. So at least in terms of getting me interested in the property, I would say it 100% succeeded, even if I'll agree that there are a lot of flaws to its execution. Well, at least it's got that going for it. Okay. I mean, it's all a fair take on that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna jump over to to Sagiri. I don't mean to keep taking time from you, Scott. Uh, no, no, keep chopping them. I think we've covered it fully. Uh, Sagiri, I I kind of I swing back and forth with her. There were times that you know I felt like her character growth was moving in the right direction, and she was beginning to kind of have to understand the balance between you know choosing to use the sword for harm for a purpose, and then you know, her own choices in the matter, I guess I'll say. Because I think she sort of felt a, a bit powerless in certain instances with that, or like she just didn't really know that she was doing, quote-unquote, the right thing. So sometimes there was this discussion, and, and other times they just have to drop this completely because we're on an island full of, like, murder stuff, and she's just she's just got to go with it. And... It waffled between her, like, really kind of looking like she wasn't very skilled at what she was doing. Like, episode one, mm, Gabi Mara yeah. was afraid of nothing. Like, you guys stated, I mean, they've tried to kill him a bunch of times. Guy looks so bored. And Sagiri walks in the room, swings at him once, and, like, he's his heart rate goes up triple fold. He's like, okay, this lady is the real deal. And if I just stand here 
and am in my, my, my passive self, she's gonna she's gonna literally kill me. And now it's going to come out that he actually might have a reason to live, right? So there's this interesting dynamic of like, hey, my handler is the real deal. Mm-hmm. That kind of gets thrown out later. Like Gabimaru bests her pretty quick on the island and then like rapidly halts in <laughs> killing her because you know, his his wife is like, it's the wrong thing. And I was like, okay, I mean, yeah. But I was like... Yeah, she rapidly turns into like, oh, she's a girl in a shonen anime. Mm. Okay. Yeah, like, oh no, like, like I'm not... She's she's ineffectual, you know, like she's, she's standard now. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, like I'm not as powerful as I, I think. And then I, all the other Asaimon are like, her secret power is like effectively flow state. I don't even know, like, she, she can go into the state that she's just like, I am, you know, not hard, not soft, not yin, not yang. Well, the number of times between. they did that, I'm, I'm sick of hearing that she be, needs to be both, like, neither hard nor soft. Like, I get it. We got yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's just like, oh, my flow state. And now I am, like, oh, so powerful, but gotta make sure that she's not as powerful as, as best boy Gabimaru. So there was this odd, like, defanging of her character pretty rapidly to, like, make sure... She was like a peg under or, you know, at the very least pseudo even footing with him. Uh, and and I, I didn't care for that. I also had big problems with her weird maidenly sensibilities midway through the show. Like all the assignment are very mature people. You know, they, they handle death every day. Sagiri is no exception. And then all of a sudden we get to the island and Gabimaru is like getting naked to get into a bath. And they've met this like small girl, May, and she's like, OMG, you can't possibly get naked in front of this small child. Or like she'll cut open monsters and like they're trying to figure out these monsters on the island and like where they come from and how they operate. And she's like a little bit weirded out by saying the words reproductive organs. And I was just like, what are you, five all of a sudden? Like, what is this garbage? You're you the disembowel who... people for a, for a living. Come on. Yeah, this cannot be a problem. It should not be a problem. And once again, it's just like, oh, we got to take her down a couple pegs because she's female in the Shonen show. Like, she instantaneously, like, needs to fill a motherly role. So we need to give her these, like, ridiculous, like, prude sensibilities all of a sudden. I was like, what is even going on? It's like you're unwriting does feel like character. she's character. Yeah, well, it feels like she's sort of being used to advance Gabimaru's character arc, right? Like, she needs to be weak enough to be defeated by him so that he can have his moment that he shouldn't kill her. Uh, like, he, you know, whatever. Whatever whatever she needs to be for their, everyone else's plot to advance, that's what she is now. Which is, yeah, a little, a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. I can see where I can see where you draw that conclusion. I agree that like there's a lot of roughness in the middle, but I feel like this uh I feel like they're they're putting her on a they've already put her on a path to sort of overcome that. She had to cuz she is, you know, for for all of her skill, she is also very sheltered. Like as an executioner, you're killing people in an extremely controlled environment. She's never been on a battlefield and her being kind of useless in that regard at least is not, you know, is I I find that completely reasonable. It 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 is you know sketchy that the only you know the only uh, woman on this particular side of the team is the one that gets uh, you know thrown into that position. It is you know it definitely feeds into a lot of the negative tropes that uh, you know shonen and shonen like shows have uh, 
you know, definitely fallen into over the years. So I'm not going to argue against that. But it does seem like they're, you know, they're setting her up so that she's now, you know, she has sort of found her center. She knows what her, she is aware of what her own, you know, inner strength is and now has the ability to um, exploit that. It is just difficult when she is being overshadowed by these other incredibly, you know, deadly, uh, you know, samurai and assassins and everything else. So someone who should be, you know, one of the top, uh, you know, one of the top fighters in this scenario is having to share space with other people who are also, you know, ridiculously overpowered. So it doesn't do her a lot of favors. I'm also just really kind of back and forth on her. I... I like what they're trying to do, but like other things in the show, I feel like they're being pretty clumsy in how they're actually doing it. So, yeah, I uh, I, I get where you're coming from with that one. I, I want to be more generous with it than maybe I should be, but I feel like it's going to bear out in the next half um, whether or not her character arc is actually as meaningful as we'd hope. Mm, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see how that goes. Oh, geez. Um, I guess, Scott, do you want to move on to, to Tao, or did you have anything else to say about characters? Or kind of the way you know, actually, handled? Tao was the next on my list, too. So it seems like a good time to hop over to it. Um, so, I mean, of course, they got this, this thing that they reveal most of the way through the show, where it turns out the bad guys power up by having sex. And you're like, whoa, you know, like it's sort of like a... I don't know, it feels like they play it for shock value, especially the more we learn about it, right? So, like, that's how all the villains do it. And, like, if they had a sign out front for their new religion, it would be, like, we rape children for power. And, like, that's kind of their motto, right? As far as you're concerned. But then it turns out every good guy character has a totally different way of powering up that just comes to them naturally. Mm. And you're like, is this just to make the villains more villainous? I say yes. Like, it seems, you know, now we can use the term edgelord. Uh, I think it does apply here. Mm. Like they're really just being edgy for its own sake. But I'd be interested in hearing your takes. Yeah, this this harkens back to something. I'm actually going to call upon Dan here it, when when we were talking about Kill a Kill. I mean, this was podcasts ages ago, and and Dan, you'd mentioned that like one of the things that bothers you about anime is that like it's always the villains who have to be like sexual deviants, and right. this this annoyed me here as well. Like I get it. So flowers are a really big motif. Like, flowers and nature are a really big motif as as part of the show from a visual standpoint. And mm. flowers are absolutely, you know, have a history, sexual imagery. However, I think that this is played so hard, you know, to the extreme end of, like, oh, man, like, the villains are, you know, whenever they're around each other, they're either kind of, like, sitting around kind of vaguely talking about sex so they're actually like having sex but once again it's completely fangless first of all so if you're like in it for any sort of titillation that's not happening mm -hmm. and two like to contrast it and make sure that our lead characters are pure like every time Gabimaru has backstory with his wife he's like 
Oh my gosh, it's just like the most cinnamon rolly, <laughs> pure interaction with his wife, you know? It's like, bro, you're from... He's like a high school kid in like a school Exactly. Yeah. Like, bro, you're from a village that like is trained to murder, and your wife blatantly says, like, women are designed to have children. I'm not saying, like, Gabi Mara needed to be a horn dog or something, but like... Hmm. You know, there, there probably should have been some sort of implication of that or imagery of that and and none of the other characters really talk about anything sexual right so it's just like let's make sure our good guys are team pure and our bad guys are teams we rape children <laughs> like jeez you know fan that thing all the way out so that you you're supposed to feel disgusted and i was just like this is ridiculous I mean, I get that, and that part was very, like, the part that you're referring to there is, like, deeply, deeply uncomfortable. I, looking, you know, I I had to kind of go back through that to make sure that I was understanding everything correctly, and my understanding is, and uh, again, could be wrong on this, this this is my interpretation of the order in which things played out, might have been the translation I was dealing with, but that... That was not something that had happened, but something that these particular uh, characters were aiming for. Doesn't make it better, but it means that like this isn't like this isn't a trauma that's already been inflicted on a character that um, we know of. That we know of. Uh, so, like, yes, those people are absolute scumbags. But I think that a lot of the a lot of the like casual like sex and sensuality that you're talking about is there to partly demonstrate just how detached these characters are from humanity at this point, because they've been in this strange state of like near godhood for a very long time as of the beginning of the show. And so their, their view of humanity of, and of like, you know, physical, uh, you know, affection and physical just interaction in general is so heavily skewed because they're fragmented parts of one being. And the fact that they've evolved into this weird, like, plant hybrid being through the use of the elixir is also makes them, you know, it makes them more alien. So I understand, once again, I feel like this is a case where I understand the goal of what they were doing, and I don't think that there was necessarily an intention of making them all like super sexual because again the sex for them is very dispassionate very detached it's really just it's it's how they pass the time because they're now effectively immortal gods living in a hedonistic paradise for them that just happens to be fueled by the like spirits of all the people they kill so for them it's just like eh, what you gonna do it's for, for me it comes across as more of just disconnecting which you know is not to say that there aren't problems with that in ways that that's been used very badly um, in the past and even within this context. But I feel like, again, it's more of a, a, a case of, you know, I understand their intentions. I'm just not sure if their execution measured up to that. It wasn't necessarily handled with either the clarity or the nuance that may have been in may have been hoped for or intended. Um, oh, and it's their homunculus servant that actually like provides the threat. Yeah, exactly. Like that, it still does. Again, still doesn't make any of it okay. It's still creepy and and you know, and like made my skin crawl when they brought that when they brought that up. But it's not. But it's like 
again, it's neither something that is shown nor something that I believe has actually occurred at this stage. Also, the fact that that character is not actually a child. They're just adopting a childlike form when they originally meet Gabimaru. Again, not trying to justify this or make it like clear. I'm just trying to provide context for why the show, you know, may have chosen to go that way rather than being as upfront and terrible as, you know, as it might sound. Is that what happened to her? I actually am not sure what the deal is. Yeah, my memory is... They had this this whole... Yeah, they had this whole thing where, like, she was an adult, and then they kind of kicked her out, and then question mark, question mark, question mark, now she's a child. Yeah, I think it's the fact that she's lost... She's lost so much of her power that it, you know, that right, she's she can't maintain the form. devolved into this. And it's not, you know, she she has childlike mannerisms, but she also doesn't really speak like she she among all of them is the least developed. The rest, you know, are at least, you know, human in their level of intelligence. Um, and she is, you know, she also very clearly like understands things like she can see energy and all of that as well as any of the other ones. It's just that she's very bad at expressing herself she doesn't have vocabulary she doesn't have words so she comes across you know she comes across as you know either less intelligent or more childlike or whatever and that also adds to kind of the ick factor of all of it so again it's like uh, again i kind of understand your intention here guys but maybe it it feels like there was no double check on like how is this going to come across if we're talking about these you know potentially very sensitive or like sketchy subjects how is it going to come across when the one character that is involved in this is like one of the few women and also presented initially as a literal child so like yeah i mean i feel like it i feel like it certainly was their intent right like all the the characters on the good guy team quote unquote like they do react like hey you're talking about raping a child like it's clearly intentional that she looked like a child and this threat is made towards her so i don't think that was like an accident you know they they react appropriately to right yeah i also like Uh, i don't know if my memory is actually vastly different i recall that she like when she was kicked out or at the very least she has had to engage in some degree of the i don't remember what it's called but i call it sex no jutsu because yeah, insert narrative. You might as well. Sure. I mean, that is. I could have sworn that she's had to undergo some of that, and not by her own choosing. But also, as Dan stated, not in the body of a child. So, yeah. you know, let's make sure that's in there. So I seem to remember that she has undergone some of it, and it was it was kind of terrible. Also, I have a a strong memory, which may have been falsified, of the pink haired evil lady stating that the more passionate the sex or the more you please your partner Hmm. the more powerful they become so i don't totally agree that their sex is all like passionless i agree with you they're not human like they don't even think of themselves as human they're gods but it's definitely like we do this with some fervor to make sure we're we're at you know our power level is over nine thousand. So I would need to rewatch that. I don't recall that exact conversation, but it doesn't. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. You very well might be right, and I'm just misremembering. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. It I I appreciate a show trying to use you know this trying to use sex and you know exploring gender in a way around you know, this energy because 
you know, that, but it also become, it also runs the risk of becoming very reductive and falling into a lot of negative tropes, you know, the whole yin and yang, like, you know, uh, masculine versus feminine energy and how all of that works, you know, being complementary to one another, but like existing, both existing within people at the same time. There's, there's a whole like, you know, philosophical and like, there's a whole philosophical angle to all of this that, again, I understand what they're trying to do, but either through gaps in translation, adaptation, whatever it might be, there are places where the there are places where the show's stance on these things is muddy enough that it's hard to get uh, a full it's hard for me to get a full read on what they what they want you to take away from it. And maybe that's just because, you know, in the original stuff, it's also left ambiguous and we're just supposed to, you know, interpret it as we will, as, you know, the words coming out of a bunch of, you know, just horrible, horrible demigods who used to be people or one person, I guess it's a little, we're, we're still figuring out exactly how that plays out. But uh, it, yeah, it, it leaves a level of ambiguity that makes all of it feel like it could be either more or less awful than it's presented on screen. And all in all, it still makes it very uncomfortable, which is really the one the one thing, like more so than the violence, more so than any of the other things, is the part that makes it hard for me to recommend the show, even though I'm personally really finding it fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll end with Tau is that later on everybody gets Tau abilities and they're stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like rapidly I mean, everyone is just like Tau. Like I think my favorite favorite, Scott, I want to hear yours, is like May. She like Dan said she can't speak in full sentences, but she just like stands in front of Gabi Mara and she's like strong, weak, tall, short, or like, you know, a bunch of opposing words. A bunch of opposing then, things. Like the assignment's trying to like figure it out and be like, oh, perhaps she's talking about like the space in between. And Gabi Mars like ain't even got time. I got it. Boom. Tau powers instantaneously. Done deal. Mm-hmm. And then slowly everyone gets Tau power. The brother, the blonde brother, Chobe, I think. Well, he's just like growing without without bounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's just like, oh, there's an enemy. Like, quick, it's time for me to obtain Tau powers. And for everyone's reference, like Tau is the life force energy or whatever that flows through all things. It also makes the elixir that gives our villains like super bad, you know, badass powers and turns them into flower villains. And it like if you can harness Tau, which is kind of like the force that all creatures have, you can just become an unstoppable shonen protagonist. And like mm. all of our characters <laughs> rapidly figure this out. They're just like, it's time to use Tau. And it's it's just the worst. Yeah, I mean, I some mean, of it's... them are more like, "Hey, this thing that I was already doing is apparently Yuzuriha. based on this." this yeah. yeah, yeah, best girl. Yuzuriha. Um, also, like Yuzuriha, even is the same way. Yeah. Also, well, Gabimaro, like she does, yeah, hard soft. He's like, "Oh, yeah, this is a lot like ninjas or whatever." Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. they they can all... it's it's you know it's chi energy or whatever other you know version of that you right. want to use from you know whatever pop version of you know, Buddhism or Taoism or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever kind of pan Asian, like spirit energy concept you want to call it. It's a version of that. So I do kind of like that, you know, it's, oh, this is the same thing. So I already understand how to use it. But yes, other people like spontaneously developing these abilities in that uh, length of time really feels like we're compressing, you know, we're compressing this, uh, this training montage, so to speak, 
really, really tightly to make sure that they can survive long enough to make it to the next arc. I, I like, again, I like what they're doing. I wish they did it in a more gradual way. Yeah, and consider, and also considering Gaimaru learns this classically in the middle of an intense battle while standing still and talking for five minutes. How else are you going to do it? Like, <laughs> right? Like, like, like there's this, there's this little firewall behind them and he's like, oh, well, that should hold them for a while. Time to talk for five minutes. Like, they can fly, dude. <laughs> right, right. Like, There's it's going to hold like them for three seconds. Demon moths coming at you. <laughs> like, why is this a problem? Oh, why is your well, be dist- they're, they're moths. They're distracted by the fire. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, all right. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, Scott, what else you got on your list? I'm running out of stuff. No, that's... I believe that's the uh, the sum total. I don't have any more major points. Okay. Yeah, just the, the show wasn't really for me. It's it's combination of things wasn't for me. I felt like it was very edge lordy and I don't know. It it has all these elements. It threw them into a pot. The mix wasn't for me. A mixed bag. Yeah, for me, it's it's yeah, it's it's very edgy and also like really poorly made. And that combination means bye. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it was about it, but like for whatever reason, like I acknowledge all of the issues that you guys are talking about. Like I will not deny that, uh, you know, that there are issues with the production. There's issues with, um, you know, with some of the pacing and the characterization and yeah, some very deeply uncomfortable like questions that are ra- that are raised around, you know, how Tao energy works and, you know, the, not let alone the whole like sexual uh, metaphor being used, well, literal and figurative uh, sex involved in all of this. But for whatever reason, it just something about it gelled with me. Maybe I was just I've been I've been waiting a while to get a show that was kind of like, you know, complex and edgy. And it just, you know, it just fit that niche for me. But sometimes uh, something hits I mean, you like, the, the show's su- super popular, yeah. right? Like, you know, it's highly anticipated. It was so in the top. You're not it allowed. was in the top five of three different anime ranking sites for the entire season. I would say that's a bit much, even to someone who enjoyed it, but yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know if it was in the top five shows that I watched. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I will be, it, it is, you know, like so many things, it's all going to come down to, you know, how it works as a whole. My hope is that, um, you know, after a somewhat rough start, it is able to, you know, they're able to kind of course correct a little bit and maybe, you know, improve their, uh their workflows to the point where we can get some either better animation or just better staging so that the, you know, the, the fight scenes get to be a little bit more dynamic and we don't have to rely on the crutch of characters talking about the cool stuff that they're doing. Um, we'll find out. I'm still very, I'm still compelled enough by the characters and the scenario to want to see where things go, especially because we now have sort of a ticking clock that, uh, other people might be coming to this Island to try and, you know, swipe the uh, elixir out from under them, and we'll see how how quickly those poor uh, poor jerks get uh, get uh, a harsh realization of how bad this place is. But um, yeah, I I acknowledge its faults, and it yet it still worked for me. But that's my that's my subjective uh, so, opinion. Sometimes things just hit you at the right like wavelength. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think you've heard all the sides, so yeah, make your own informed decision. There you go. For sure. Good luck, everyone. All right. Catch you guys next time. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye. So-